So, we are, um, we began last week, Al kicked us off last week at the, uh, the start of this next little mini-series on Scripture, Practicing the Way. I don't know if you were here last week. The thing that stands out in my mind from that introductory message is that God's Word is the subject of the action, and it acts upon me. It acts upon you. So often, we approach any material, any, any book, any, any process of thought, and we approach it critically as if we are above it. And we say, well, I'm going to come to this thing called Scripture, and I'm going to see if it lines up. Come on, my hands are filthy. I'm going to see if it lines up with what I think is right. And the invitation throughout this whole series is actually that the Word of God will impact us and, if you like, critique us and realign our thinking so that we think aligned to what He thinks because He ain't wrong. He's, he's the one who has the perfect perspective on every one of our lives. And when we allow Scripture to read us, when we allow God's Word to come to us, it always brings life. It always brings hope. It always brings us home into the embrace that we need. His name is power. His name is healing. His name is life. And we need that name, that, that word to come and to, to land in our hearts and to set us free. Set us free. So, Today, I was asked to speak with the subject of Scripture as an alternative story. And I want to, I want to just kind of say from the outset, it's not just an alternative, as in, well, you could choose it or you could not. This is the story. This is the one and most important, the biggest, the grandest story that has ever been written because it started before creation. And it will extend into eternity when this world is long gone. It is the, the story that the Father Himself and the Son and the Holy Spirit came up with together that we get to step into and be part of. We have been invited, you have been invited into God's story. He's telling it. And as He tells it, He's inviting you at every step to step in to step in for the first time, to step in further for the 2,000th time. He is constantly inviting us deeper and deeper into the story that He is writing. And it is a grand story. And we, you know, sometimes we get, when you get a book, did anybody still read books anymore? I don't know. You know, some of some of us do. You know, I'm a bit of a I'm a bit of a watcher of movies, but you know, it works better with the analogy of a book. So, when we read a book, when we get a book, we can turn to the last chapter and we can go, oh, that's what happens. And as Christians, God has given us His most incredible book, the Bible, and we get to look at the end. We get to see the end of the story, and it is a good end to the story. It is a glorious end to the story. And what we see at the end of that story is actually the same heartbeat that was in the Father right at the beginning. 
I'm going to show it to you. This is from Revelation chapter 21, verse 3. Now, this is the final, most glorious moment as all of heaven's purposes come to a climax before the end of the world. This is the moment where the Father stands at the throne and declares out to all of creation, this is it. It's happened. It's happened. Finally, now. It's happened. I heard a loud shout from the throne. God is not moderately interested in our salvation and in his glory. He is white hot passionate about the glory of his kingdom expanding and exploding into your heart and my heart and the heart of every generation and every tribe and every tongue. He stands and with a loud shout from the throne, he says, look, God's home is now amongst his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. This is his grand purpose. This is the mega story that he has been writing since before creation, way back before any of us ever breathed, before anything ever existed, there was that first holy huddle in heaven. And Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they got together and they came up with this incredible plan. And they said, we are going to make our home with human beings. We are going to create and we are going to cohabit with men and women. And we are going to share our lives with them. And we are going to demonstrate the glory that is in us through them. And the angelic host are going, this is incredible. How is it possible? How can it be? Right at the start, you see it in Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3, where God comes and he walks amongst his people in the garden, in the cool of the day, and he shares his intimate life with them. And they get to talk to God face to face. This has always been his plan. And then sin enters the world. <coughs> Excuse me. And it goes, goes horribly wrong. And the reason it's horribly wrong is because God can no longer be with his children. Sin, this thing that is so disgusting to the heart of the pure, perfect, heavenly father, is suddenly now in the way between him and his children. And he longs for them. He longs for that restoration of being together, dwelling with, up close and personal. And so we see the Old Testament story and the sacrificial system that is brought into, into play just so that the people can come close. But it's not enough. And all the way through the Old Testament, there is this constant awareness that I can offer the blood of bulls and goats and I can come into the temple, but still I know that internally I am not holy. God, you are still out of my reach, I need a savior. And the whole of the Old Testament finds its climax when at the start of the New Testament, Jesus, God in the flesh, steps down and said, I will have my children. I will come into relationship with my children again. I will be reunited with them, even if it costs me my blood. I will die so that they can be restored to me, so that I can walk with my children again. And this is where we are. We are in this most incredible end few chapters of the story as we look towards Revelation chapter 21, when finally 
all of the struggle is over and God stands and celebrates from his throne and he says, now I'm home. My children are home with me. I'm back with my kids. I've got my kids back. My children get to see my face. I get to look into their eyes. This is the massive story that started before creation and will continue into eternity. You are caught up in that. Your life is about that. Your life is not primarily identified by what you do on a Monday morning or what you do on a Tuesday evening or what you give yourself to in your spare moments. You are, through faith in Jesus Christ, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> you are a child of God. You have been enveloped in his arms and drawn into his presence. And we see it throughout scripture. We see it in the parable of all parables in Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son, where the son goes far away. He turns his back on his father and he goes off into a distant land and he gets down there in the dirt amongst the pigs and he gives his life to stuff that only takes his life from him. And gradually he gets lower and lower and lower until he knows I am in the pit. I am dead. I am lost. I am hopeless. And then he comes to his senses and he realizes I can go back to my father. I can go back. I can get back up into the story that he has called me to live with him. I can be restored. And we, thank you so much, we get, to, we get to be restored and embraced, just as it says here in Luke chapter 15, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, he embraced him, and he kissed him. And if you're here this morning and you feel like you are far, far away, all you need to do is turn. The Father is looking for you. And when he sees that turn in your heart, he starts running. He starts celebrating. He starts chasing you down so he can show you how much he loves you. Because he wants you back into his story. He wants to be close and intimate and personal with you. Because that is your design from before creation. And there's all kinds of other things in this world that will tell us, don't pay any attention to that story. There's all kinds of stuff that just like the prodigal son, you know, he was like drawn like a moth to a flame of, oh, if I go, if I go away from my father's house, I'll find life, I'll find parties, I'll find friends, I'll find good things. And he went away and suddenly he discovered that actually it wasn't as good as he thought. And around us, constantly, every day of our lives, there are all kinds of things screaming at us. Come over here. Come over here. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this. And we get more and more sucked into it. All through our social media channels, all through television, all through watching the news, all through everything that we give our lives to. None of those things in and of themselves are bad, but they draw us down and they draw us deeper and deeper, deeper into hopelessness. And like a moth to a flame, it ain't going to end up very good for that moth. It's very beautiful right now. Give it a split second and it won't be quite so beautiful anymore. And we are being called by the loving Father to turn away from that and to come back up into the story that he has designed for every one of us 
to live in from before creation began. That is the alternative story. That is the story of all stories. And one of the key things that our Father has given us to enable us to walk in this story is Scripture. He has given us the pages of the Bible as it's like a portal into his heart and his mind. He's, he's given us an opportunity to, to realign our thinking and to come into revelation of who he actually is and who we actually are. And every time we pick up scripture, we're not just picking up a dry book from beside our bed. We're picking up the living word of God. This is Jesus in print. Jesus in print. Imagine that when you, when you reach for your Bible in the morning or the evening or whenever you reach for it and you draw it close to yourself, Jesus is looking at you. Jesus' eyes are fixed on yours. His hand is on your heart. His heart desires to bring revelation into your heart of this is who I am. This is who I say you are. This is the value I place upon your life. This is the purpose I call you to walk in. This is the future. This is the destiny that I have crafted for you. This is the significance that no one can take away from you. The world will try, but no one can take this away from you. And he's given us this beautiful portal to his heart called Scripture. Let me just show you a few of the things that it does. God's Word sets you free. John 8 verse 32 says, You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Do you need freedom? God's Word leads you, leads us into freedom. It performs surgery. Hebrews 4.12 says, God's Word is sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing bone and marrow. It will cut away unhelpful mindsets, things that sap our strength, things that drag us down into the depths, ideas and concepts and ways of thinking that are just laced with hopelessness and despair. His word will cut that away from our hearts so that we can walk free. His word washes us clean. This is Ephesians 5.26. It talks there, uh, Paul is writing to the Ephesians and he says to them, now that you have been washed with the word. I remember when Nicola and I were in Nepal as missionaries, this has gone back a long time now, but um, walking through the streets of that city with its thousands, tens of thousands of, of little Hindu shrines and temples on every street corner and many, many in between, and by the end of the day, you could just feel like you have been slimed by the world. And somebody shared this, this verse with us there. It's always stuck in my mind that come the end of the day, you can just take out the word of God and read and let it wash over you and it will cleanse your heart. And just all of that slime, all of that gunk that you've picked up throughout your day, it'll just wash you clean and put you in a good place. It guides you. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. If you're ever confused, if you don't know what to do, if you're just struggling for wisdom, God's word is exactly that. It's exactly what you need in those moments. It transforms your life. Do not be conformed by the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind as you feed on the words of Jesus. It transforms your thinking. It takes you from earthbound broken thinking into heavenly 
life-giving thinking. And it brings you success. It brings you success. Joshua 1 verse 8. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Like who needs some of that? Who needs at least one of those every day that we're alive? Every day I'm alive, I need wisdom. Every day I'm alive, I need light. Every day I'm alive, I need hope. I need, I need to be washed. I need to be cleansed. I need to have things cut out of my mind that lead me in a destructive path. And he has given us his word for that purpose. He wants us to be people who are immersed in the truth of his word because he wants us to be free. And he wants us every day to be caught up in this incredible story that he has written throughout all of eternity. Lives immersed in the truth of scripture is a life aligned with the character and value system of God, increasingly seen through the lens of Christ's life, death and resurrection, not through the lens of human brokenness. See, this is, this is the problem. We, when we divorce our thinking from God's word, we end up evaluating all of life according to our broken lens. But when we see ourselves and our life situations through the word of God, it's like he puts fresh glasses over our, on our face. And he enables us to see ourselves, our lives, one another, and our circumstances through his lens of truth and through his lens of restored perfection. Christ's life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension. He has done it all. He has made us clean. He has taken away all of the brokenness, all of the mess and restored us so that we can live free, so that we can breathe the free air, not suck in the fumes from the world. This is what he does for us as we engage in his word. Fill in the blank for me. Give me some suggestions. This is a lifestyle of Righteousness, peace, freedom, joy, hope, love. This is a lifestyle of security. Anything else? Grace. All of these things, this is what he invites us into. I've got one other word for you which I didn't expect you to give. This is a lifestyle of Repentance. It's a scary word, so I'm using my scary voice. We don't tend to talk about repentance very much because we think of it in very negative terms. We think of, we hear the word repent and we think of the fella standing on the street corner in Hyde Park or wherever it is with a sandwich board, you know, repent for the end is nigh. It's just not a very warm, fuzzy message, is it? We don't really like it. But that's so, it's such a limited perspective on what it means because repentance doesn't mean that or it doesn't mean only that. In the Old Testament times, there were two words uh, used for repentance. And the first one is what often comes to our mind. We hear repentance, we think, oh, I'm going to run to the front. I'm going to kneel down. I'm going to cry. I'm going to say, oh, God, I've blown it. I've blown it. I'm so useless. That's a little bit of the picture. There is an Old Testament word called na'am, which 
encapsulates exactly that. And it kind of, actually, if you say it right, it actually even sounds like that. You know, it's like, no, oh. it, it's got that heavy breathing out kind of, oh, no. Um. Just try that for me. Ah, oh, you sound pathetic. That's great. That's really good. So that's one part of it. The second Hebrew word for repentance is teshuva. Just try that. Bless you. It sounded like you all sneezed at once. So now that word doesn't have the oh, heavy to, uh, heaviness to it. What, it. what it actually means is to kind of pick yourself up and start again. And that is the picture of Old Testament, the Old Covenant repentance, where the people knew that they were getting it wrong. They were blowing it every day. It was, no, oh, um, off they go again. No, um, teshuva. And off they go again. And they just went in cycle after cycle of blowing it, coming back, offering a sacrifice in the temple, blowing it, offering a sacrifice in the temple. And it was a treadmill of self-effort. And I'm going to get this right. I'm going to get this right. <gasps> but when we come into the new covenant with Jesus, he perfectly fulfills all of that effort so that no effort is required on our part whatsoever. He is the perfect sacrifice for every moment of no. And we pick up and we start again with Jesus, not just with a sense of, right, I'm going to do better, I'm going to do better. This time in the New Testament, the word for repentance is metanoia, which just means to, which means to change the way you think based on something that has happened. That something that has happened is that Jesus went to the cross. He died to deal with all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our guilt, all of our brokenness, all of our hopelessness. He's done everything for us. So I get to think free. I get to think differently because I don't have to do it. He's done it. So repentance, as you can see, it is, it is a, an altogether different, in a different category to what we, what we tend to think here in the UK anyway when we hear that word. And he has given us his scriptures to inform our repentance. As I say, it's like a portal into his heart. When we open scripture, we look into the heart of God. We see his revelation of his love, of his kindness, of his purposes for us, of his calling for our lives. And we get to think differently. And we know that access to all of that has been paid for through Jesus Christ. It's a complete game changer. We're no longer stuck in this circle of failure and try harder and failure and try harder and failure and try harder. We are set free to go from glory to glory to glory to glory and be part of this incredible story that God has been writing from the foundations of the world, calling us up and into his purposes through repentance. Thank you, God. Martin Luther, who was the uh, reformer of the 1500s, the 16th century, initiated what we now call as the Protestant Reformation. The very first thesis that he wrote on this subject said, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, 
he willed that the whole of the life of the believer should be one of repentance. The whole of, of your life and my life should be one of constantly rethinking because of Jesus, I'm now free. Because of Jesus, I'm no longer bound to walk in that endless, hopeless cycle. I can break free. I just want to speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind, over sickness and depression and anxiety and fear and whatever it is. I get to live free from that because he has done it. This is the everyday, every moment repentance that you and I get to walk in. It is glorious. It is beautiful. We're coming towards the end. I just want to share this with you. Acts chapter 11, verse 18. This is where um, the council in Jerusalem made up of Jewish people who believed that they were the only ones who could ever get to God. They suddenly realized that God has opened the door to everyone. And they, they make this, we, we, we kind of lose the, the, the importance of this, but to them, this was earth shattering. This was like mind blown, can't believe this is happening. You're kidding me. They're like, so then, even the Gentiles, God has granted them repentance that leads to life. Even those people, the most outsiders in the world, they get in as well. What? They thought they were the only ones, but no, they've come to this revelation. Salvation is for everybody, anybody. It's for you. It's, it's for every one of us, whether we're in the pig pen of life or wherever we find ourselves. Salvation has been offered to you. God has gifted repentance that leads to life. And there's three very, very quick things. A little bit of what I've already said on this one. Repentance is a gift. It's a gift. You do not have to work for it. You do not have to try to change the way you think. The Spirit of God comes into you when you become a believer and gives you new, fresh revelation of the heart of the Father. It's his gift to you. It's your birthright as one of his children. It's your birthright to think differently. It's his gift to you in that moment. It's not through the sweat of your brow. Of your brow. It's his gift. And also, repentance has its source in the love of the Father. So often we think, when we think of the word repentance, we think, well, that only exists because I have sinned, because I have messed up, because I've got it wrong. No, no, no. Repentance was something that was conceived of in the heart of God before creation. He provided a way for every single one of us to step into his story. It had its origin in the love of the Father. John 3, 16, that verse that we all know so very well, does not say, Mind blank. Oh yeah, for God does not say, for God got so frustrated and disappointed with the world that he gave his one and only son. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave Jesus through whom repentance becomes a gift for every single one of us. 
It starts in his love. The father is not staring down at you with a wagging finger going, I'm so frustrated with you. He's inviting you like the, like the prodigal son. He is watching for you, waiting for you to, to come home. And last of all, from that little verse in Acts 11, verse 18, repentance leads to life. It leads to life to the full. John 10, 10 says, for I have not come to steal and kill. Sorry, it says the enemy has come to steal and kill and destroy. But I, but Jesus, I have come that you may have life and have it in abundance. This thing called repentance, this, this accessing the heart of God through that portal of Scripture leads to life. It leads to more life than you know what to do with. It leads to freedom. It leads to transformed mind. It leads to a heart that is full of hope, that is full of joy and expectation. It leads to all the fullness, the shalom, the peace of God that He wants to give to every single one of us. This is the alternative story. It's a darn good alternative. It's not just a nice to have. This is the story that was written for you. And I, as we close, we are going to close here in just a second. I want to give us all, for a moment, the opportunity to respond to this invitation. So let's, I guess there's, there's two ways, there's, there's at least two ways that folks may be ready to respond. I want to say for you, for you here this morning, if you, have, if you recognize that actually you are down here in the dirt and your life looks limited and broken and messy and dark and hopeless, and you know that you have never responded, you've never turned, you've never seen the wide open arms of the Father before, you've never come to Him and said, Lord, Father, I need you then this is a great moment to come to him. This is a great moment to repent, to change the way you think, to accept the gift of salvation that he longs to give you. That could be one way. For many of the others in this room who I know already know and love the Lord, this is also a moment where you can recognize, hey, you know what? I've I've allowed myself, and I, I'm in this boat just as much as anybody, I've allowed myself to become so transfixed with all this stuff, with all this alternative story that the world is telling me. I'm so fixated on Instagram and on YouTube and on Sky News and on the BBC and on all. It's like, I'm drawn down in here. I know you're there, God. I know you're there, God. It's a moment to turn again. It's a moment to turn back to him and say, Father, I want to feast my eyes on you. I want to fill my heart with your truth. I want to access this portal of scripture to your heart and receive the revelation that it brings. At least two categories of response. So do me a favor, close your eyes for just one second, okay? If you're in that first category this morning, if you've never to this point opened your heart to Jesus and received him as your Savior and Lord, then I want you to take 10 seconds and stand for me. You won't be standing alone for long because I'm going to invite everybody else to step into this in a moment. If you recognize the invitation of the Father to step into his eternal story, this is a moment to stand and to say, I need you.
And if you find yourself here this morning in the second category, and you recognize through what I've shared this morning, there is that voice of the Father that is saying to you, come on back. You've gone too close to the, to the edge. You've spent so much time in darkness. You've imbibed so much of the message of the world that your life no longer looks like it could. If you hear that voice just inviting you to step deeper into his presence, then I invite you to stand. It's just a declaration saying, Lord, I want your voice to be the main one that I listen to. I want your voice to take preeminence. Thank you, folks. It's so good just to let the voice of God speak. Thank you. Do feel free to take your seats again, folks who are standing. It's just such, it's, it's helpful sometimes just to engage physically in these moments. The Lord sees your hearts. He knows what's going on there. And his, his heart is full of, of passion for his children. I'm just going to pray for us. Father, Father, we thank you. You've gifted us an incredible gift in your word. You have chosen to reveal to us what is in your heart, what is on your mind, what you dream about for us. And Lord, we want to be a people who hear your voice. We want to be a people whose lives are aligned to the story that you tell because, Lord, we recognize that your story is full of life, full of hope, full of joy, full of peace, full of freedom. I want to thank you, Lord, you have created us for that. Lord, will you enable us to be a people who access your truth deeply, that it will impact our hearts consistently and that we will walk in freedom as a result. In your name, Jesus.